Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're recapping where all of the college running backs ended up, and we're going to look at their situations and how Parker and I think that they're going to end up playing out with their NFL careers, at least with these teams that they got either drafted or signed to. If you don't follow us on Twitter, be sure to do that at TNF underscore podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Joined as always by Mr. Parker Hurley. Parks, how you doing? Doing good. Yeah, this is a big uh, fantasy podcast since, um, yeah, running backs are kind of devalued, but they're still the most valuable position in fantasy football. So pretty impactful. Absolutely, Parks. Uh, one running back went in the first round. That was Josh Jacobs of Alabama. Went to the Raiders with the 24th pick. He joins. Well, what was Isaiah Crowell before he tore his Achilles? They ended up re-signing uh, Doug Martin after that, but Jalen Richard, DeAndre Washington, and Chris Warren. Um, NFL Network reported that Marshawn Lynch would unretire if the Raiders won him back, but they did invest the first-round pick in Josh Jacobs. So how do you see that playing out for him? I still think they're, I mean, okay in the running back room for the most part, where, like you said, Doug Martin came back. Um, They have some guys, I mean, Jalen Richard, they retained to be their third down back. And then there's DeAndre Washington and even Chris Warren is depth. So I think they're kind of okay in terms of, I don't think Beast Mode will be back. But um, in terms of Josh Jacobs, he is going to just get plugged into the starter because, like I said, they're devalued and you don't draft a running back in the first round unless you think that next year he can help you. I mean, in, or, you know, get the amount of carries or touches that, you know, some of the first round backs that you saw in recent years have gotten, you know, you don't waste, you know, you don't sit around. And the reason you draft running backs in the first round is because, you know, you wear them out in those first four or five seasons and then you kind of go from there. So they're going to really grind, uh, or they're going to try to grind out with uh, Josh Jacobs. And it's funny because, you know, as a stylistic runner, he is similar to a lot of these guys like Crowell and to like Doug Martin and even to like Chris Warren to where um, you could tell why, you know, Gruden and Mayock and they, you know, are starting to have a type of their runners. You know, they really like those guys who even in open space can really like gear up their force and become really physical, you know, natures in open space. Um, Especially, you know, Doug Martin back in his rookie season where, like I said, he got worn down a lot in his rookie season, but he was a very rugged runner. You could see similar to that in Josh Jacobs and you could see, um, I don't think he'll get that many carries, but you could see similar stuff to a Doug Martin, you know, rookie type of season for Josh Jacobs. So he has a decent offensive line, um, mainly in terms of their guard and center. Um, then, you know, they brought in Trent Brown, but the Trent Brown thing's so fascinating because he went from, he was so average in San Francisco, went to the Patriots who have the best offensive line coach in Dante Scarnecchia and was just great there. And now he's going to the worst offensive line coach. Um, and I forget his name, but he, he ruined the Seattle Seahawks offensive line, uh, Tom Cable. And now he's out here, you know, Potentially, you know, hopefully not doing the same thing because that would ruin Josh Jacobs. So he's kind of a player to me. I'm kind of waiting around and seeing it because I was even saying to you um, and I was saying on our first podcast, he's never had 200 carries. And I kind of would like to see somebody get 200 carries in college before I give them 200 in the NFL. So that's where to me, I'm in wait and see mode. I'm in wait and see with the offensive line. I'm in wait and see with his injuries. I'm even in wait and see somewhat with his skill set because he was used so little and he was used behind Damian Harris, who was a third round pick, you know. So he was used so little that all of the bits and flashes you know, we're just bits and flashes. I mean, could it be, you know, a Doug Martin rookie season? Yeah. Could the same fallout of Doug Martin happen? I mean, yeah, like that's, that's where it's so wide open for Josh Jacobs and where it's tough, but you can count on, they're going to give him the ball a lot next year. Parks and the next running back taken was in the second round, the 21st pick of that second round. Miles Sanders of Penn State goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. 
He joins newcomer Jordan Howard, Corey Clement, Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, Boston Scott, and Donnell Pumphrey. He averaged 3.68 yards after contact per carry, which ranked number eight in the nation. And then he helped himself out in Indy with a 4.49 and a nice 10-foot-4 broad jump and a little twitchy 6.89 three-cone. Parks, speaking in Saturday's post-draft presser, Eagles GM Howie Roseman said the team had been looking for a running back like second-rounder Miles Sanders, quote, for a few years. What does this mean for Jordan Howard and the rest of that backfield? It's bad news for everybody except Miles Sanders for sure. And this is the one that I think in fantasy drafts and all that, you let somebody else take Josh Jacobs and a few rounds later, you know, because a lot of people are going to say, oh, the first round pick and Isaiah Crowell's hurt. Um, and they're going to look at Miles Sanders and say, like you just said, the last few years, the Eagles have been a committee and they have Jordan Howard and Clement and Adams and Boston Scott and Smallwood. And you just listed off the names and names and names. Okay, he's a second-round pick who's getting thrown into a committee, right? You just said, hey, they might be looking for a guy like Miles Sanders for a long time. And I was talking a lot pre-draft about Miles Sanders is better than a lot of people are saying. He wasn't you. First off, he was used behind Saquon and didn't play. And then second off, I don't even think in in his usage in that last season at Penn State, I don't even think like I think he could have been a lot better than what they did with him. So that's where I'm staying. And I know, I think I was listening to an Eagles podcast by Fran Duffy was saying that the Eagles worked him out and were in love with his passing game ability. And I was saying that you could see on tape that he's an electric player that you can move into the slot and use him as a passing um, player, but Penn state didn't do it enough. And that's why he was so under the radar in some draft circles. Obviously he, you know, he's second running back taken second round pick, because if you worked him out privately, you could see what like, and if you watched every single snap of his, you could see it, but it's just like, you had to watch a lot of him, but that's where I'm saying that he brings, he can run between the tackles enough. And the big thing where fantasy, it's going to kill him is that he might lose his goal line carries to Jordan Howard, but they're going to motion him out to the slot. They're going to use him as for the most part in every down player. And I really think he just is going to shine over all these guys and he has a really good offensive line and he's in a really good offense it stylistically makes sense and um like I said since I watched so much of him I watched so much of him because the Bears expressed similar interest and they brought him in for a workout and I have like three articles about why uh, Miles Sanders is the perfect replacement for Jordan Howard so if anybody at all is worried about Jordan Howard um and Miles Sanders I can just tell you with assured confidence and you can go look at the articles that um, Miles Sanders is just, he's so much better than Jordan Howard and he is going to step in and be better than Jordan Howard. And like I said, in almost all assets of the game, except for maybe on the two yard line, and that's where it's going to hurt in fantasy. So that's like the only drawback. But like you said, I think they have been looking for Sanders. I think they really like his um, passing game impact. They like his, um, like you said, agility. And they like the fact that he is a do it all player who, you know, they teams don't want to have three running backs that all excel in one different thing. They want a running back who can do all three things. And Sanders has the ability, the most of all these players to do them all. Um, and it goes back to, he has serious fumble issues, but my biggest fear with him pre-draft was if you fall into the fourth or fifth round and you have fumble issues, you're done. If you are a second round pick, there's some investment in you. So there's enough investment that, um, like I said, more than Jacobs, I'm interested in the landing spot of Miles Sanders. Parks, um, if people do want to check those out, I don't think you said it, but they can find those over at Bear Goggles On, I'm imagining. If you Google uh, Bear Goggles On, Miles Sanders, there will be like five or six articles about uh, him replacing Jordan Howard. It was funny when I saw them draft it. Always a good read, Parks. So that's it. First and second round, just one each. In the third round, the Rams traded up to take Daryl Henderson, running back from Memphis Park, with the sixth pick of the third round. He, of course, joins Todd Gurley, Malcolm Brown, Justin Davis, and John Kelly. 55 of Henderson's 214 junior 
year carries, which is 26%, went for 10 or more yards. And PFF College credited him with the nation's best 6.2 yards after contact per rushing attempt. His 8.2 yards per carry average in 2018 tied for the NCAA's highest mark since 1956. Sean McVay said the team could use two more could use more two-back formations in 2019, which parks that's a little bit of a change for a guy that lives and dies 11 personnel almost exclusively. He, McVay has also alluded to giving Gurley more rest with a quote, as far as managing the workload, those things are things that we talk about with Todd and as you continue to get educated on is something that we should do for the long haul or something that isn't going to affect Todd most importantly and how does that affect our team. Being able to give somebody a chance to come in and provide a different threat is exactly what we identified in Henderson, McVeigh said. So, Parks, what does this mean for the Rams' backfield? Yeah, definitely girly stock down, Henderson stock up, in my opinion. And I think you're right, or Sean McVeigh is right, where he's saying he's going to diversify his offense. And while he was so strictly 11 personnel, what I've always said was that's because he's so um, he schemes around what the talent that he has. You know, if he had different talent to be more versatile, he would have been more versatile, but he didn't have it. So now he is going to try to be more versatile. And he alluded to trying to sign Lance Dunbar, who tore his ACL. And while that's for sure true, um, one thing that I said and that I'm going to keep an eye on and why I'm saying that Gurley stock is on the way down, Henderson stock is on the way up, is that um, the draft is the only time that NFL teams have to tell the truth. Like you can't lie about the NFL draft because this isn't for the most part, it's not as much about this year as it's about the next four or five years of your future. Or if you hit on that pick, it's about the next 10 years, you know? So you can't lie about the NFL draft. And for months we're saying, are the Rams lying about Todd Gurley? You know, we're questioning, like we literally questioned this for months on end. They benched him, you know, or they didn't bench him, but he was, you know, in and out throughout the Super Bowl, in and out throughout the playoffs. Reports come out about tendonitis. We're questioning, you know, tendonitis is something that once you have it, it's not really going away. It's just about pain management. So, I mean, now he's a running back who's kind of been used, who has some serious money, and that's where it's going to be interesting. But he has tendonitis in his knees to the point where he wasn't capable of getting a full workload in the Super Bowl. You know, like the Super Bowl, like this isn't like week two, Todd Gurley's out the Super Bowl. So, okay. He gets a few months off. He also just drafted the, like you said, they traded up. They weren't just sitting around saying, well, you know, we sat around and Henderson was the best player and it just so happened. No, they said, we need Daryl Henderson. Yes. We need Daryl Henderson to be more versatile, but we need Daryl Henderson because Todd Gurley is not getting 20 touches anymore. That's not the way it's going to be. Todd Gurley's explosive. Todd Gurley is one of my favorite running backs like out there. I'm not like trying to disparage Todd Gurley, but he's going to like for now because of his tendonitis in his knees and because of they're clearly concerned about him and he's making a lot of money. He's going to get 10 to 15 carries and he's going to be explosive on him. But Daryl Henderson is going to cut into that. And Daryl Henderson is a big playback, like you said, and Sean McVay's favorite thing is big plays. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to mix and match them. Even Malcolm Brown's going to get in the mix a little bit. Even John Kelly might get in the mix a little bit. But like you said, I mean, to trade up for him, to trade up for, in my opinion, potentially the best running back out of this class. And because he got put in a Sean McVay system where he's going to have so much potential for big plays, I kind of think that in four years, we're going to look back and say that Henderson was the best back in this class. At least statistically, he will be because of the situation he's put in. And if that comes true, a guy like Todd Gurley, you know, isn't necessarily standing in his way. So like I said, it's the only time a team is actually honest. And when the Rams had to be honest, 
they said that Todd Gurley is not going to get a big workload. That's like, that is what they said. So um, do not draft Todd Gurley. Um, I, I don't know how late it would have to be. I mean, for me to draft him, it's definitely not going to be in the first round. I don't know. You know, I'd have to look at the, start looking at a list of players before, you know, when I would draft Todd Gurley, but um, it's, it's going to be a conundrum for him in fantasy. And as the season goes on, Daryl Henderson might get more and more. So we'll see. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to watch there, Parks. Four picks later, a team that you write about, Parks, and know in and out. The Chicago Bears, the 10th pick of that third round, selected David Montgomery from Iowa State. He joins Mike Davis, Tariq Cohen, Taekwon Mizell, and Ryan Nall. PFF College credited Montgomery with a nation-high 100 mixed tackles forced in 2018, which is impressive behind one of the NCAA's worst offensive lines. Nagy said... When you have guys that can play all three downs, it's nice for the play caller and it's nice for the offense. Bears coach Matt Nagy also said he sees the Kareem Hunt comparisons for third round running back David Montgomery and noted the fact that Montgomery, quote, makes defenders miss inside the tackle box before going on to talk up his hands. He said he, quote, definitely understands the Hunt comparison because we know Parks said uh, Nagy coached Hunt with the Chiefs. Um, the Bears, who didn't have a whole lot of draft him to begin with, surrendered two picks and a 2024th rounder to move up 14 spots for Montgomery. Um, I would say it's safe to assume, Parks, that they're hoping that he earns a big rookie role, but how do you see that playing out? And like you said, um, Nagy coached uh, Kareem Hunt, but also the Iowa State running backs coach actually came from Toledo too, so um, there's a lot of Kareem Hunt comparisons. To me, I didn't necessarily – I mean, I see the Kareem Hunt comparisons for sure. It's It makes a lot of sense, you know, a slower back, a bigger back who has that elusive ability to put his foot in the ground and go laterally and make people miss and then kind of sho shove off tackles. Um, to me, the big difference – and, I mean, it's definitely just my opinion, so, I mean, I could easily be wrong on this, but I thought the big difference was uh, Kareem Hunt was just so much more explosive in when he could – he would cut laterally, but also would like be moving vertically with that. Like I don't know how to describe it. Like I'm not a kinesiologist, but I just felt like he was he had more upward or vertical burst while he was going laterally. Um, and I thought that was really impressive. And I thought that stood out for Kareem Hunt. Even in college, I kind of identified that with him. And I completely understand the scenarios. I think he's just a tick slower, even with the pads on, than Kareem Hunt getting upfield. So that's where I think there's a difference. Um, and I mean, even Matt Nagy went on to say that, um, let's go back to, you know, training camp of Kareem Hunt's first year and Spencer Ware was ahead of him on the depth chart until he tore like an LCL or something along those lines. So, I mean, it's not necessarily the end of Mike Davis, but, um, I even wrote an article where I wrote rookie expectations and I pegged him in for at least 200 carries David Montgomery, because once again, um, the bears were pretty honest and I actually wrote a bunch of articles for the Chicago Bears where um, kind of profiled what exactly they were looking for in a running back. And I'm like fairly confident the Bears draft board was, um, you know, one probably was Josh Jacobs. I mean, we don't know, but I don't think they were expecting Josh Jacobs, but they clearly had Miles Sanders and Daryl Henderson as like their two guys. And the second that Daryl Henderson got drafted is the second that they traded up because I think David Montgomery like closed off a tier for them. So like those were like their four guys was Jacobs, um, Sanders, the guys that we just kind of read through. And then Montgomery was like the fourth out of four. And once that third guy and they were like, there's only one more guy in this tier, we have to go get him. What they were said in that situation was, and we're going to start to get into it. All these other guys are like role players. And this is the only other guy who could potentially get 200 carries next season for the most part. You know, some of these guys, if it breaks right, this and that, but he's like the only other guy who could potentially be a staple of the offense. And that's why the Bears did go up and get him because – they are going to use them. They're going to use them in the goal line. I mean, just 
like automatically. And like I said, he's going to get um, all the carries and he is going to be an upgrade over Jordan Howard at the very worst, just due to the fact that he can catch and Jordan Howard wasn't a factor in the passing game. So is his upside as high as Kareem Hunt's rookie year? I don't necessarily believe so. I don't think his ceiling as an NFL player is even as high as Kareem Hunt. Um, and I think that Mike Davis is going to get mixed in a little bit more than some people would think. And I think that Cohen's going to get mixed in a little bit, but I do think it kind of screws out Cohen a little bit. And um, we can just hit on Kareth White because they drafted him too, but he's going to mainly just be a, a return specialist. But it's interesting because they drafted Cordero Patterson and he's kind of just Cordero Patterson insurance, but also um, Matt Nagy wants to use multiple tight ends and multiple running backs on the field. Even in the playoffs, he used three running backs on like two or three plays and one of them was Tarek Cohen, which is great. The other two were Tyquan Mizell and Benny Cunningham. And I think he just looked around and he's like, I'm never going to be in a situation where Tyquan Mizell and Benny Cunningham are my running backs in a playoff game. And I'm actually relying on them. It was like a third down. They went to Benny Cunningham. So um, Kareth White, I think he's going to be more in terms of like a jet sweep type of player and a return man. But David Montgomery is going to be a big piece. Mike Davis is going to be involved. And I think that's like bad news for Tarek Cohen. Um, Cohen's going to still be good. But like fantasy, I think it's just going to be a mess for the most part. Parks, I have uh, notes here for Kareth White. I was going to get into he was the eighth pick of the seventh round. Um, I just have that, you know, Nicky kind of used him as a Swiss Army knife, you know, put him in the backfield out wide and on special teams. And I also have that he could uh, – you know, that's a really nice offensive personnel and staff that to utilize his strengths. And then I have a question for you with fewer carries for Cohen. He only had 99 last season and you got to get him more than the 91 targets he got last year. Do you agree with those points? Yeah, I think Cohen will be involved more in the passing game. And like I said, I think for the most part, Kareth White is a little bit of Cordell Patterson insurance. And that's where, like you said, Swiss Army knife, put him in the slot, jet sweeps, everything like that. So that's where, like I said, I think they're saying that, I mean, what Mike Davis, Tarek Cohen, David Montgomery, Kareth White. There's a bunch of guys who are going to be used. Um, Adam Shaheen, Trey Burton, Allen Robinson, T Taylor Gabriel. Um, you know, you just go down the line of um, Anthony Miller, just receivers. They have a ton of them. They just drafted Riley Ridley too. So like, they're just going to spread the football around and just make, you know, hopefully let, make life easy for Mitch. So I think it's better for Mitch, worse for everybody, you know, in terms of fantasy. Park, so that, uh, with that defense, you know, they got to find a way to get more points on the board. So, Next up, part in the third round, went with the 11th pick of the third round, Devin Singletary, Kareth White's teammate at Florida Atlantic, goes to the Buffalo Bills. He joins LaShawn McCoy, newcomer Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, Snorris Perry, Marcus Murphy, Christian Wade, and Keith Ford. Bills GM Brandon Bean said that LaShawn McCoy is still their feature back, um, but they have, like I said, they added Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, and now they add Singletary after – McCoy kind of bought him out last year, Parks. Um, they improved their offensive line a little bit, but uh, McCoy is now, you know, a shaky 30-year-old running back. Even if his starting role is safe, Parks, uh, his days as an everyday, every down back do kind of look behind him. And I'll just start out there just, you know, because it might might come up. Uh, the Bills can save $6.4 million if they cut McCoy before me week one. Yeah, this one, I mean, I'm not as high on Singletary as a lot of other people. And that's where I, what I was saying is um, because I studied running back so much for the Bears, and I really did start to come to a conclusion that the drop-off in the consensus was that Singletary was kind of the fifth guy, but that drop-off between that fourth guy and David Montgomery and that fifth guy and Singletary to the Bears, based on everything that they were, you know, kind of telling me based on, you know, what they look for, um, there was a steep drop-off and there was a drop-off to where that's where they said that we need to trade up because we're not as sold on Singletary and I'm not as sold on Singletary. And, um, you know, the thing about Singletary is that 
the situation with the Bills, I don't trust the Bills' offense. Like, I just don't trust much of their offensive decisions. And a lot of Buffalo people are going to be ticked off. But I'll, you know, phrase it with when they draft Tremaine Edmonds, you're like, that's a perfect fit. And defensively, they're going to do everything they can. Sean McDermott is a defensive genius. He's going to have the Bills in competition next year because their defense is going to be so well coached and so talented. They don't make a good offensive decisions. They haven't for like a while. And I mean, yeah, Josh Allen got hot and Robert Foster got hot. It's like, I don't trust that too much going forward. And I just don't trust their offensive decision-making skills. I know they added um, on their offensive line, which is really smart, but still, um, I just don't, I, like, I don't trust the talent and the vision that they have in their offense. And that's where I'm going back to, I'm not as sold on Devin Singletary as a lot of people. I thought he was overdrafted and then he gets overdrafted by a team that I don't think has a great eye for talent. That's where I'm starting to really question it. And then, there's, you know, okay, LaShawn McCoy, a lot of people actually compared him to LaShawn McCoy. What I'm saying is go look at the agility difference between, um, if you look at LaShawn McCoy's agility drills and then you look at Devin Singletary's agility drills, it's not a comparison. LaShawn McCoy, it's like 11.1 was his. Devin Singletary was like 11.7. And the lower the number, it's like the quicker the time you have. So like, it's really like LaShawn McCoy, like you said, now at age 30 with like um, leg injuries and shoulder injuries, he still might have better agility drills than Devin Singletary. So it's like, okay, he's a super poor man's LaShawn McCoy, but even 30-year-old LaShawn McCoy but might be more agile than him. Okay, but he's this undersized power player and he runs so smart and decisive almost like Frank Gore, except like 30 something year old Frank Gore is still more powerful and still more smart than him. So like, can he beat these guys out? I mean, like you said, he should be able to, these are running backs over the age of 30 and they're going to cost, you know, equity at the end of the day. I don't know if Singletary is better than these guys. Is Devin Singletary better than TJ Yeldon? No, because he can't catch the football like TJ Yeldon can. And he's not as elusive as TJ Yeldon can. And he's not as big as TJ Yeldon is. So, I mean, if they're going to draft him and start him, a lot of people are going to go for it. And in my opinion, he's fool's gold all the way. Um, I just, I would avoid this backfield with everything in me because they're like, I don't know who's going to, you know, shake out of this. Frank Gore is the best running back in terms of he's going to be durable. He's going to run between the tackles. They're going to trust him. Like, yeah, I'm not recommending you guys go out there and draft Frank Gore, but um, also, like I said, TJ Yeldon, in my opinion, is going to catch passes. I don't trust Devin Singletary catching passes. I could be hundred percent wrong on this, but I'm fading Devin Singletary big time. Um, and until I see something different, I'm just I mean, the whole Bills offense, for the most part, I'm going to fade unless Josh Allen at value because he has rushing value. Um, but yeah, I, I just uh, until I see more from their offense besides like, oh, those two games that, you know, they put what, a bunch of points on the Jets that one time, you know, until I see a lot more than that, um, I'm still fading their offense. Parks, I'm with you on that. With the 24th pick in that third round, the New England Patriots ended up drafting Damian Harris running back from Alabama. He joined Sonny Michelle, James White. Rex Burkhead, Brandon Bolden, and James Devlin. I guess we can lump in there as well, Parks. Uh, the only note I have for you here, Parks, is Rex Burkhead's roster security. What do you think? I mean, it's it's just such a mess, the running back situation. Um, I think they're probably going to carry um, probably all four, you know, in terms of Michelle, James White, Harrison, Burkhead, and then Devlin as a fullback, maybe um, Bolden. But, I mean, Burkhead does have the injury questions, so there's going to be that, but – I mean, it is just such a mess because Harris is kind of just a poor man's Michelle, but Michelle kind of struggled in his rookie season. He did start to come along towards the end, but, um, you know, it was definitely an up and down rookie season. And then to see them kind of dip back in on a running back who, you know, he's a little bit of a do it all back. I mean, he's kind of a good at everything, not great at anything type of player. 
um, who, you know, it's just the way the Patriots are and how they're going to shuffle all these running backs. He's just another piece where, like I said, he can catch the ball a little bit. He can block a little bit, a little between the tackles, a little bit of elusiveness. So, I mean, they're going to use him in a bunch of ways, and he's just going to cut into Michelle. He's going to cut into Burkhead, and I'll probably spend a ton of time this summer and find one that I like the most. But I also think someone said that, you know, the best uh, – the best fantasy draft pick of the Patriots every single year is the last one that you can take because it's just like the value play that they're all going to get similar stats and just take the last one because he's the value play. So, I mean, that's honestly, this is like as messy as the Patriots backfield as I've ever seen it. And yeah, it's probably going to take me all summer to figure it out. Parks, you enjoy that. Um, we'll be moving on here. <laughs> Alexander Madison from Boise State goes to the Vikings for the 39th pick of the third round. He joins Dalvin Cook. Michael Boone, Amir Abdullah, Rock Thomas. Uh, the offensive line last year, Parks, was an absolute mess. They draft Garrett Bradbury, which will move Pat Elfline over to guard. They also take Drew Samia and Oli Uda. I won't try to pronounce his full name there, Parks, but uh, we kind of like this Alexander Madison fit, and you can kind of talk about how he's replacing a guy that goes out in very similar skill set. I mean, they just lost Latavius Murray, and I think for the most part, you kind of just plug and play Madison into the Latavius Murray role. And, you know, like you said, I think their heavy emphasis was on the offensive line, as it absolutely should have been. And um, they did invest. I did like Samia at value, and I did love, uh, you know, Bradbury, especially the fit, um, and putting him next to a guy like Elfline. So big time um, in terms of boosting your offensive line. And they're going to commit to this. I mean, whether you agree with it or not, they're going to commit to this ideology of taking you know the hassle off of Kirkmore. Last year, they threw the football deep and it didn't work is basically what they're saying. And we're going to run the football. We just completely are changing course. It changed when they uh, fired Filippo and then hired um, Stefanski, who really just for like two or three games, they just ran the football heavily. And then they drafted, you know, invested heavily in the running game in the draft. So Dalvin Cook, I love Dalvin Cook. He's a great player. Um, and it's kind of similar to what I said with uh, Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson might be a role player early on because similarly to Dalvin Cook, he might not be able to get the full entire workload. He's explosive and he's going to spring off big runs, but it's going to be that, you know, 15, maybe 20 at the max. You know, he's never really going to go over 20 carries because he's a little bit smaller. He's got a couple injury questions. You know, Cook has some serious shoulder injuries. So, I mean, you know, he's got a history of injuries on his uh, on his path. So, Alex Madison is going to be a bruiser here. You know, he, what he can do and what I really like about him is how decisive he is in his downhill decisions. So, I mean, it's perfect for what they're trying to do. Um, take all of these stressful carries off of Dalvin Cook, highlight Dalvin Cook in these specific areas. So I don't know if it's like a full-on fate of Dalvin Cook. It stinks for Dalvin Cook because he's not going to get any goal line carries. You know, like if he doesn't finish off that 60-yard run for a touchdown – He's screwed, but but like it's still a decent role for Dalvin Cook because it takes some of the pressure and potentially some of the injury question away from him. It's just Madison's going to take all the goal line carries. He's going to take a similar role to Latavius Murray, but I think that preserves Dalvin Cook. So, I mean, are we waiting for a Dalvin Cook breakout? Is it going to come? I mean, maybe not, but um, I do think it kind of preserves Dalvin Cook's value at like right where it is right now. So, um, and like I said, I mean, I think that if you go look at Madison or if you go look at Latavius Murray in his three seasons, um, would it be too much of a surprise if Madison was too much different? I personally don't think so, um, especially with the upgrade in offensive lines. So he's going to be a touchdown stealer. He's going to be fantasy relevant at some point. Um, it's just, you know, when, and you know, he's just a late round player because all he is is going to be a touchdown stealer. So that's what you're going to get for the most part with Madison in that role. Parks and now moving on to the fourth round. Bryce Love of Stanford goes with 10th pick of the fourth round to the Washington Redskins. He joins Darius Geis, who 
is back, which we love to see, Parks. Adrian Peterson, Samaji P. Ryan, Chris Thompson, and Russell Hansbrough. Speaking Saturday, Jay Gruden said Darius Geis could be ready for training camp. Those words come the same day as Adam Schefter reported that Geis is coming along a little slower than expected. So believe who you want there. I would say the Schefter has really nothing, no skin in the game there. But Bryce Love, uh, ACL injury, is aiming for a mid-training camp return. That's a pretty optimistic timeline for him there uh, compared to previous reports, Parks. Redskins really don't have much incentive to rush him back with Geis, Thompson, and Peterson already in the roster. So it'd be surprising to me if he was active early in 2019. But what are your thoughts? I think his best case is he misses six games. I think he could definitely miss 10 games, and I think he should miss a whole season, to be completely honest. So that's where I just stand. And like you said, I mean, Washington's whole thing is like – Quit rushing people back from injuries too early because they keep getting injured. You know, like you don't have you're out two quarterbacks, Colt McCoy and uh, you know Alex Smith. You're out Darius Geis. You know Chris Thompson's banged up. Like quit doing this, Jordan Reed. You know, like quit it. Like be better with your medical staff. And you know, one thing we noted with Dwayne Haskins was they were a lot more patient. Um, and I think that with a guy like Bryce Love, because you take him and you put him in with all these guys, you know, you brought back Adrian Peterson. Like you're not just going to sit him on the bench and, you know, get Geis and Perrine and uh, Chris Thompson's back in the mix. So like you have the depth, just sit him out and like, don't rush it back for once, you know, like for one time, just do it because there's nothing you like, just start building up his core strength all season, get him in the weight room with a guy like Chris Thompson, who Chris Thompson just seems like, you know, like a stand up dude, a pretty good, you know, mentor type of role player for Bryce Love. So um, he's a player who next year, Year could be in the Chris Thompson role. You know, Chris Thompson spends a year um, balling out and then coaching Love up, and then he gets paid somewhere else, and then Bryce Love steps into his role. That's about how I see it. Um, like I said, I mean, I won't start even thinking about Bryce Love until like week 10 unless I hear otherwise. So that's just where I stand. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that backfield plays out there, Parks. The next picked in the fourth round, the 11th pick, uh, the Ravens take a guy, Parks, that we're really excited about where he ended up landing. Justice Hill from Oklahoma State. Uh, he joins Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Kenneth Dixon, Christopher Azalea, DeLance Turner, and Tyler Irvin. Um, he operated as the Oklahoma State Cowboys lead runner in all three seasons, 5.6 yards per carry and 6.2 yards per reception. Um, I have a little nugget here. Most impressively held off Seahawks starter Chris Carson for feature back duties as a true freshman. And then he had that, um, I think, the number two spark score among running backs at the combine in the 4-4 flat. With a 40-inch vertical and 10-10 broad jump, he's explosive, but a uh, but small guy. And he, um, especially, I remember us talking about that he was a liability in, pre- in pass protection parks. But he should work well with Mark Ingram. So how do you think that's going to kind of play out? Because here's how he helps in pass protection is he's going to be their jet sweep player and he's going to freeze players on the edge because they're so afraid that he's going to run around them like that. You don't have to block people when you're used the right way. And I feel like he was drafted to be used the right way. And I feel like the Ravens offense has the potential to be extremely dynamic. You know, you either believe in Lamar Jackson or you don't. And I feel like the Ravens are just completely and like everyone keeps going back to last season. You can listen to my podcast on last season. Like judging him on last season is kind of funny, but this season they're so committed and the offense has the potential to be really perfect around him. And a lot of people can't see it either. And like, I'm reading like respected people can't see it. I'm like, you guys are so crazy, but uh, like they have a lot of speed in terms of Hollywood Brown and miles Boykin. And the thing about Hollywood Brown is 
um, what I always said was his quick get off of the football. So he can be used in short, quick passes. Miles Boykin, what was so crazy about him is he's six five and he's a straight line, you know, deep threat. So, okay, you have some deep threat, you have some short speed. Um, Mark Ingram is obviously just straight up the gut, power ahead. Here we go. Uh, Justice Hill, like I kind of said, is, in my opinion, the jet sweep player who freezes everybody. So in like now you have, what, like three tight ends. You know, we all make fun of the Ravens for their tight ends, except for the fact that it all, like, it all fits together and it works really well or like has the potential to. So like you have all these tight ends, every play could be a run. Why? Because Justice Hill can run. Lamar Jackson can run. Mark Ingram can run. And they can all run. Lamar can run left. Justice Hill can run right. And Ingram can run straight up the gut. Or on every single play, there's a threat of a run or Lamar Jackson just takes the ball back and throws it to a person who can get open in the quick to intermediate and the Marquise Brown or the deep mid, you know, the deep field. And uh, what's his name? So the offense is really like dynamic and Justice Hill might be a huge part of that. And like I said, his jet sweep ability, they went out and traded for Ty Montgomery last year on the fly because like I said, they're, they were doing this on the fly and just like making it up as they go. And they got Ty Montgomery in there and it didn't work out because, you know, he's Ty Montgomery. But Justice Hill is like, if you could draw out the perfect player for this role, you would say, man, Justice Hill in this role would be absolutely perfect. And here he comes. You know, he's speedy. He's quick. He's explosive. Like I said, he's going to freeze those guys because he can get the ball and just explode around the edge on these guys. So that freezes time for Lamar Jackson as a passer or that gets him. It gives him a chance to read. And like this is stuff that you used to not be able to do in the NFL, but the Ravens are fully committed to it. And I'm buying into it. And it starts, in my opinion, with Justice Hill, because I think he's going to get like 10 rushes and 10 receptions every single game. And everyone's saying, you know, oh, with all these tight ends and, you know, Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin, who are they going to throw the ball to? I'm like, yeah, I mean, those are potentially all fades, but Justice Hill, in my opinion, is the big time buy because I think he can do it all. And I think that, like I said, I think he's such a key to their offense that they have to consistently have him on the field. And once he's on the field and he's so close to the football when it snapped, he's a threat in my opinion. So, um, I think instant impact. I think a over a lot of these other guys I talked about, um, he's a guy that I'll be targeting in fantasy. Yeah, Parks, put him on the field with Mark Ingram. I want to see that. They're going to have a lot of fun there down in Baltimore. They're AFC North Division rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Parks. The 20th pick in that fourth round, they take Benny Snell from Kentucky. He joins a guy that he's very much like, James Conner, also Jalen Samuels, Trey Edmonds. I'm not sure what kind of roles Malik Williams and Ralph Webb will have, but Snell leading all SEC running backs and missed tackles force with 45 in 2018, but his yards after contact for carry declined each season at Kentucky, and then he bombed at the combine, 46640, which I'm sure everyone's heard about, 29 and a half inch vertical. That's ninth percentile spark results, Parks. Uh, not really a high-level athlete or a proven pass catcher. Not really sure what kind of role he's going to carve out for himself here, Parks. Um, but Steers did take him with the 20th pick in that fourth round. So what do you think about that? Yeah, like you said, I mean, he's when you just trust the Steelers because he's so eerily similar to um, not only James Conner, but also Le'Veon Bell. Um, especially, like you said, just vision, size, um, can get downhill in a hurry. And um, next year, for the most part, he'll be in the Steven Ridley role. But something I've talked about for a while is that they want to use Jalen Samuels as more than just a running back. They want to be like I was talking about with like a guy like Justice Hill um, and use Jalen Samuels as like a chess piece player, a player who you can motion, you throw the ball to, you can put him in the backfield, um, do a lot of different things with. And when James Conner gets hurt, you know, 
and James, Jalen Samuels has to just be their do everything running back. Like that, that's not what Jalen Samuels is perfect at. So what they're looking at and they're saying, if James Connor gets hurt again, and I mean, James Connor is the best story there is, but also has been hurt to end his last two seasons. So like if James Connor gets hurt again, we want Jalen Samuels in a very specific role. We don't want him being James Connor's backup. So now we have James Connors back up in Benny Snell. And like I said, you just trust the Steelers strength and conditioning program that um, they could like cut 10 pounds off of him and gain a step of speed on him because they've done it with a lot of other running backs. So, I mean, um, I think for the most part, he's going to be the Steven Ridley role, but I think he could very easily, if James Connor gets you know injured or whatever, I think he could step into that role. And the Steelers offensive line is good enough that all of a sudden he becomes fantasy relevant because like I keep saying, I think, and it doesn't kill Jalen Samuels because I think Jalen Samuels is going to have a role. It's just going to be a different role than a lot of people think. And a lot of people are like, oh, the Steelers are so, uh, you know, set in their ways as the running back, this and that. I think for the most part that come down, that came down to Todd Haley. And then when Haley left, they're in this like weird Le'Veon Bell situation. And like I keep saying, Jalen Samuels was not even like a running back when they drafted him. And then he, all of a sudden he's the rookie backup. You know, because Le'Veon Bell was supposed to be there, and then James Connors getting you know a heavy workload, and then James Connors hurt. So like that year, like I can't, I, you can't really say that that year is how they use their running backs. So I really think that without Todd Haley, they might go to a more um, like all three of these guys might be in the mix a little bit more. So um, maybe a slight ding to James Connor, maybe a, a like like I said, I think it's even cute with Jalen Samuels, and definitely a, you know a big boost up for Benny Stellstock in my opinion. So uh, good for him that he's in. A, like I said, the strength and conditioning coaches have. Uh, shown that they can work with him. Parks and the next running back drafted was Tony Pollard from Memphis, went to the Cowboys with the 26th pick in that fourth round. He, of course, joined Zeke Elliott, Darius Jackson, and Jordan Chun. Pollard, after his Richard Jr. year, where he played a little slot receiver and changed the pace for the guy we always t- already talked about, Daryl Henderson, logged a career, 6.8 yards per carry with nine touchdowns and had 104 catches, averaging 12.4 yards per set per reception with nine additional receiving scores, Parks. And then that 4-4-2 speed that he showed at his pro day, um, he's definitely going to be used as a special team of Parks. He ended up tying a record, an FBS record, by bringing seven back to the house in those three years, Parks. Um, Cowboys EVP Stephen Jones said Tony Pollard could get 30 plays a game, 30 plays in a game, which I kind of laughed at because I remember last year it was Tavon Austin, a dozen to two dozen touches per game, and he ended up, I think that he got 20 touches once, um, but the rookie out of Memphis Parks. Um, what do you think they're going to? How they're going to use him as a little chess piece? They also took uh, Mike Weber from Ohio State with the fourth pick in the seventh round. So. If you want to talk about those guys a little bit, go for it. Right. Well, first we'll hit Tony Pollard because it's so funny that he mentioned Tavon or you mentioned Tavon Austin because it's the same quote. Why is it the same quote? Because they sold the owner that they're going to use him in the same role. So uh, like you said, I mean, do you believe it? No, because we just saw last year. And do I think Tony Pollard is a thicker human being than Tavon Austin and potentially could take more wear than Tavon Austin? I mean, potentially, you know, Tavon Austin seems like like a broken player, you know, by the time that they got him. So, um, but you know, something that I was, you know, kind of laughing about is, 
you know, I keep talking about this jet sweep move player. They're like, I don't know the position of it, but like it's a jet sweep move player. And like Jalen Samuels is one. And um, we just talked about Justice Hill is one. And the Patriots, whether it was Cordero Patterson or Rex Burkhead, or, you know, they have one. And the Bears, whether it's Kareth White or Cordero Patterson, they have one. Like everybody wants one of these, you know, matchup identifier, move player type of players can catch, can line up in line, potentially could line up in the slot, everything like that. Um, and they were looking for it last year with uh, Tavon Austin. And now they're looking for it again with Tony Pollard. And that's what he's going to do. And that's why you continually draft Mike Weber, because like I just said with the Steelers, it's a different position. Mike Weber is Ezekiel Elliott's backup in the way that Benny Snell is James Conner's backup. Tony Pollard is Jalen Samuels. You know, that's how they want to do it. They don't want Tony Pollard to step in and take Ezekiel Elliott carries. They want these two to have specific roles that they can bounce off of with each other. Um, like I said, do I believe it? No, because um, I mean, obviously he's not going to get that many plays. I was just like, that's what an owner, you know, is selling, you know, talking up some stuff for, but he's going to get, I think he's going to get on the field more than Tavon Austin. So, I mean, a Tavon Austin plus, and you know, you look at Mike Weber and you say, well, they just drafted, um, you know, Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio state. And then his backup was, uh, crap. I forget. Oh, Rod Smith, who was from Ohio state. And then they draft another Ohio state runner. So, I mean, similar running style, um, just, you know, Rod Smith player. If Zeke gets hurt, Mike Weber's the fantasy relevant guy, not Tony Pollard. Um, because of everything I just said, but Tony Pollard will have a role regardless. Mike Weber will not have a role until Ezekiel Elliott gets hurt. So that's just kind of how um, those kind of guys shake out. Parks and in the fifth round, second pick of that fifth round, the Jaguars selected Raquel Armstead from Temple. He joins Lenny Fournette, Alfred Blue, Thomas Rawls. Hey, there's where Benny Cunningham ended up. He, uh, he's gotten around a little bit there and also David Williams, Parks. How do you see that playing out? I mean, it's kind of funny that, you know, Rykel Armstead is um, poor man's Leonard Fournette. So um, it's clear that um, Doug Marone is still doing some of the, you know, the, the heavy lifting in terms of the picks. So um, and it makes sense, you know, that that's what they needed. I mean, Thomas Rolls, another poor man's Leonard Fournette, just a one cut runner. Um, I can, you know, stretch zone it. I can plant my foot and then I'm going to get downhill. And am I going to do much laterally? Not really. Um, am I going to do much in the passing game? Not really. But um, I am going to get to from zero to 60. And when I do, it's going to be, you know, some physical stuff. So, I mean, he, beca especially because of Thomas Rawls, and I think Fournette even um, has some off-field stuff that even recently popped up. And he's been in, uh, you know, bad with Tom Coughlin and bad with the coaching staff for a few months now. So, um Raquel Armstead, I mean, like I said, Thomas Rawls can't stay healthy, and Alfred Blue is just a guy, and Benny Cunningham is a third down back whose quality, um, he's an up back on special teams. So if you don't trust Leonard Fournette, or if Leonard Fournette gets hurt, Raquel Armstead's actually going to step in and be the guy because he's a very, very similar stylistic runner. So um, like I said, it's a poor man's version, but um, will he potentially be fantasy relevant? Yeah, because Leonard Fournette has the chance to, you know, he has questions. Am I going out and drafting him? No. This is like a situation maybe in like week six, you're saying, you know, oh, do I pick up Rawls, Blue, or Armstead? I'd probably be looking to Armstead. All right, Parks, next with the 14th pick of that fifth round, the Atlanta Falcons took Quadri Olsen from Pittsburgh. He joins Devonta Freeman, Ito Smith, Ken John Barner, Ryan Hill, and Jeremy Langford in that backfield, Parks. Do you see a role for him in Atlanta? I mean, there definitely could be because you go straight back to last season and you look at Devontae Freeman and – um, you know, even before last season, um, injuries are really starting to pile up for a guy like Freeman. And he's starting to get to a point where his contract is becoming more of a hindrance than it actually is, you know, a deal or anything along those lines. So they're going to eventually, potentially at the end of this season, try to get out of the Devontae Freeman deal. 
Andy can't even stay healthy himself. So the fact that they're drafting any running back, you have to at least look into it. And then especially Olison, because when you looked at Ito Smith last season, who did because Freeman was down, kind of took a bulk of those carries, you kind of realized that for the most part, Ito Smith was a little bit drafted more as the Tevin Coleman type of player than the Freeman, whereas he can flex out, do a bunch of different little things, catch the football. But, you know, he's a little bit shiftier, a little bit smaller. He's not really the, you know, downhill power running back um, that a guy like Freeman would be. But a guy like Quadri Olison is drafted to be in that situation. You know, the thing with Olison, uh, he he started, I think, his freshman year, and then he was behind James Conner for a little bit, and then kind of ended up reclaiming his thing. But um, he has, you know, experience. He can catch the ball a little bit. He reminds me of Spencer Ware for the most part. You know, just kind of a reliable player who is um, – you know, like I said, he, he has the physicality where he can definitely handle some of the runs between the tackles. Um, for him right now, he has to beat out Brian Hill, um, another fifth round pick uh, from two years ago. But the fact that this coaching staff did invest, you know, the more recent pick, they have Olison. you know, he's more cost efficient for the next four seasons than a guy like Brian Hill is. He already has the heads up over him. So you go through and you have Freeman and Ido Smith. Kenyon Barner is just a special teams player. So if Freeman got hurt, all of a sudden, next season, Quadriolison's a pretty good training camp away from potentially being um, getting some serious, you know, running back roles. Because, like I said, I think Ito Smith at the best is a role player, and yeah, maybe that does make Olison a role player. But it's ten to fifteen uh, carries, and it's potentially some goal line carries. So he's a player who, all of a sudden, you know, has to be on people's radar because he got drafted. Not only he got drafted, he got drafted into a good situation to where um, Freeman certainly is in front of him, but it's not like, you know, it's not the biggest barrier that some people might see it as. So he's a guy you got to kind of keep in the back of your head moving forward. Hey, Parks, that'll be an interesting one to follow. Um, next guy drafted two picks later, 16th pick of that fifth round. The Carolina Panthers took Jordan Scarlett, the running back from Florida. Um, they also, and we'll touch on this as well, they also signed as UDFA, Elisha Holyfield, from Georgia that we talked about in our running backs preview pod, but they of course joined Christian McCaffrey, Cameron Artis Payne, Reggie Bonifant, and Elijah Hood. Uh, Scarlett doesn't weigh, he does weigh over 200 pounds, but you know, he might like, he might lack that NFL athleticism parks. Um, he lost his entire 2017 season due to a credit card fraud scheme, um, went on to play, 12 or 13 games in 2018, rushed for 776 yards and five scores on 131 carries and added 10 receptions. Uh, the Panthers, you know, they really don't have a firm backup to Christian McCaffrey. Um, you saw some Cameron artist pain in spurts there, Parks, but um, do you think that either one of these guys can compete for that role? Right. And, you know, when you look at Cameron artist pain and you compare him to Christian McCaffrey, they're, you know, so many, they're so much different as players stylistically. So it's almost like Cameron Artis Payne is more of the compliment to Christian McCaffrey, you know, whereas Christian McCaffrey is, Christian McCaffrey's the do everything back. So it's not like he even needs a compliment. He is, you know, the pure definition of they're going to use the heck out of him. And he is going to be a top five fantasy pick, you know, next season. So, you know, he's going to completely hold down this backfield. And that's why these guys aren't going to necessarily be relevant. But um, what you have to look at, like I'm kind of saying, is look at the roles more than um, the situations. And Scarlett was pretty much drafted because he could be a McCaffrey replacement and that he can catch the passes a little bit. He has good balance to where he can get out to the sidelines and everything. I honestly think that um, if McCaffrey went down, it would just become so tough to invest in a guy like Scarlett in fantasy. 
but he's going to be the McCaffrey backup. But I don't think that affects Artist Payne. I think Artist Payne is in a camp committee with, um, or a camp competition with Elijah Holyfield, the undrafted free agent, and Elijah Hood was an undrafted free agent that the Raiders cut. Um, all three of them are extremely similar. They're very, uh, you know, heavier players, power players. Um, they don't have the breakaway speed, but they can get the goal line carries. They can take some of that work um, off of Christian McCaffrey, who he he's a bigger player than people give him credit for, but he's also still a smaller player um, nonetheless. So one of those three is going to emerge. Um, you know, it's going to be tough. Cameron Artis Payne has been kind of holding that down for a while. The other two, I do kind of like them. So it's going to be interesting. And that's going to be, they're going to steal the touchdowns. They're going to be the vultures. And those three are in a different role than even what Scarlett is, was drafted to play for. So they have five running backs, but it's really, they're going to keep four and it's going to be, you know, two of the power guys and then Scarlett and McCaffrey. So, um, that's just how it's going to shape out. But like I said, once McCaffrey goes down, it's going to just be a wasteland of Scarlet gets a little, um, and whoever the power guy between those three gets a little bit too. So not too much to see. Parks and moving on to the sixth round here, the Cincinnati Bengals took two running backs in the sixth round. The first one, Travion Williams from Texas A&M with the ninth pick in that round. Uh, he was their lead back all three years. PFF College actually credited him with an SEC high, 57 carries that gained 10 plus yards last season. Um, but he ended up disappointing at the combine with a 4-5-140 and a pretty sluggish 7.44-3 count time. Um, but his college tape shows that, you know, he's a jack of all trades, pretty much a master of none, if we're being honest. But um, with Mark Walton no longer on the roster, Giovanni Bernard entering the final year of his deal, um, might he be the long-term number two behind Joe Mixon? And also Parks, um, we'll touch on Rodney Anderson, who went with the 30 picks later, 39th pick. He appeared in only 18 games in his collegiate career, broke his leg as a freshman, uh, fractured vertebrae as a sophomore. But then, you know, he dominated as a junior, had a really nice um, campaign there, 17 receptions even, and then he tore his ACL, tore his right ACL two games in 2018. Um, you know, he's a bigger runner, Parks, um, but he is competent in the passing game. Um, I kind of like liked him to Latavius Murray, but how do you see uh, those two guys fitting in Cincinnati? I think, you know, for the most part, what I said on our, one of our first podcasts was our season previews podcast, where I was saying that I think they drafted Mark Walton to try and push Gio Bernard out the door. And I think a lot of the off field issues that Mark Walton has ended up not having that, you know, come to fruition. And the reason I know that is, you know, you look into the Cincinnati Bengals ownership and you know that they're a little bit cheaper and Giovanni Bernard is making a little bit more than he should be. And like you said, he's a free agent already. So they wanted, they, they're trying to get rid of Giovanni Bernard. They were tried to last year already and it didn't work out. So they're trying to again, which is why they double dipped with running backs. It's not just, they're looking for a mix and replacement or, you know, I don't even think any of these guys, could be considered a mix and replacement, but not necessarily even a mix and backup. They just want to completely fill the room so that they can, you know, move on from Giovanni Bernard and save themselves, you know, a couple bucks here and there. So that's what they're really looking to do with these picks. So that's why Mixon, you know, you also have the fact that Mixon has, you know, a few injury issues nonetheless. And obviously the off the field, you can't just have a bare running back room, um, especially if you do want to move on from Gio Bernard. So they are going to fill out the running back room and they are probably going to make the team. The thing, and you know, a lot of people said Travion Williams was going to be round four and I was, I thought that was high for him. And I studied the running backs a lot this year and I just, I didn't see it laterally with him. He's a, he's an extremely explosive player, but he's smaller and he does catch the ball well, but he's smaller and he's not necessarily laterally shifty, but you can use him similarly to Giovanni Bernard. And I think he comes in purely to be that Giovanni Bernard backup. And I think that if he can progress 
Um, they're going to try and trade Giovanni Bernard this summer, you know, for nothing really, but they're going to try and get rid of him. So that's where Travion Williams would slide in. And then with Rodney Anderson, you have a guy who stepped in for Joe Mixon at Oklahoma, and now he would be the main Joe Mixon replacement. Um, if anything were, ha- were to happen to Joe Mixon, I know every, you know, you kind of say with Rodney Anderson, like you even said, um, the talent is absolutely there. All the questions in the world come down to his injuries. So um, that's also why you double dip. And that's also why Gio still hasn't been cut. You know, he's still hanging on to this roster. But also your boy from uh, Pitt, Darren Hall, undrafted free agent, um, tried out for the Browns a little bit. And he's there now. And also Quentin Flowers is in the room. So they have a lot of running back options. I think Travion's going to step into that Gio role. They're going to get rid of Gio. And then the rest of these guys are going to fight out. You know, one of them will be the main Joe Mixon backup. But I still think... Joe Mixon is going to get um, the same workload, if not more, next season. Probably more. Yeah, Parks, that's a Joe Mixon show there. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, who fills in behind him if they try to, you know, if they do want to move on from Gio Bernard. We'll move on, Parks, to the Lions with the 13th pick of that sixth round. They took Ty Johnson from Maryland. Um, he had a, a really impressive sophomore season with the Terps there. Set a school record with 9.1 yards per carry. Uh, accumulated a team high 110 carries for just over a thousand yards and six touchdowns. Uh, despite that, though, um, he had a calf injury, and then the Anthony McFarland showed up uh, to College Park. You know, set him back in his final year, but at the combine, you know, he showed that straight line speed at a 4.4540 um, in Indy. There, Parks finished with 7.0 yards per carry in his collegiate career. Parks, um, he has the skills and probably has a role in that um, Detroit backfield behind Carrion Johnson, Theo Riddick, Zach Zenner, CJ Anderson, Mark Thompson, and Kerwin Williams. But how do you see that uh, shaking out there? That's the thing. You just list off all these freaking names. And that's where, you know, you go back to uh, the last podcast or the tight end podcast. I was saying, you know, TJ Hawkinson is good news for carry on Johnson because they're going to run the ball. And now I'm going to kind of make the case a little bit against carry on Johnson. In my opinion, in like a perfect world, it is like they should still have this thing set up for carry on Johnson. It's just, you know, we go back to last season and what do we remember about Matt Patricia last season, right? You know, he's not calling the plays, but, and they do have a new offensive coordinator. You definitely have to add that in as well. But, um, and carry on Johnson was a rookie, you know, all these, uh, you know, qualifiers, but what they're doing a lot last season is, um, LeGarrette Blunt, it was painfully obvious that LeGarrette Blunt, when he was on the field, they would run it. When Theo Riddick was on the field, they would pass it. And then when Carryon Johnson was on the field, anything could happen. And like, we were like, oh man, this is crazy. Um, but you know, and now they're kind of, you know, they signed CJ Anderson to potentially step into that, you know, or Zach Zenner's there to step into that, you know, LeGarrette Blunt role. Um, Theo Riddick is still there. And even if he moves on, you have a similar player in Ty Johnson because Ty Johnson, you know, he's not going to provide much between the tackles, but he's going to provide, like you kind of said, enough explosive plays to where you're going to get him in the game a little bit here and there. And if he's working with Theo Riddick or uh, carry on Johnson, and I said, this was Theo Riddick too. If those two could work together and it can get carry on Johnson on the field a little bit more, that's fine. But if it's taking off carry on Johnson, it does start to get a little frustrating because he's somewhat limited in what he can do between the tackles. He is much better similar to Theo Riddick, um, you know, jet sweeps, motioning out to the slot, everything like that. So you want to say, you know, 
they have the right pieces that they could really make some serious magic with all these players. But I'm also saying just last year, they didn't, they had similar pieces and, you know, didn't know what they were doing. So also carry on Johnson has some, uh, you know, injury regards. So basically all summer, that's going to be the carry on Johnson debate is on the one side, they're going to run the ball. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And carry on Johnson is going to be involved. It's just, is carry on Johnson everything or is carry on Johnson one of CJ Anderson, Theo Riddick's getting a touch here and there, Zenner's getting a touch here and there, Johnson's getting a touch here and there. So that's what everyone's going to be debating. Um, like I said on the tight end one, I, I lean to, I think this could be a carry on Johnson situation. I also recognize, you know, all the roadblocks standing in the way. So we'll see. Park sound a lot like a, uh, a running back depth chart up in Boston. You know, we talked about with Damien Harris from Alabama going there, you know, with Matt Patricia, it's a lot like that. But uh, the next running back parks we'll talk about here, the Packers in that sixth round with the 22nd pick took Dexter Williams from Notre Dame. He joins a room of Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Trey Carson, Capri Bibbs, and LeVon Coleman parks. Um, definitely showed some flashes at Notre Dame there. Do you think he can carve out a role here? I think uh, rest in peace, Jamal Williams. And I think it's tough for Aaron Jones too. You know, mainly because it's a first-year head coach, and he this is a running back that he drafted. Um, sixth round, you know, be damned. That's where kind of running backs are even somewhat valued at this point. Aaron Jones is just a fifth-rounder himself. But I do think Aaron Jones fits, especially when he drafts um, Dexter Williams. You can tell what type of offense they're going to run. Um, a lot of outside zone. So you're sitting there saying, you know, well, Jones can get to the outside. Dexter Williams can get to the outside. Jamal Williams doesn't really have that burst in his steps. So, I mean, he's really the guy that's just clearly, in my opinion, just going to get replaced because when you look at the two, and I talked about it before, that Dexter Williams – has a lot of the same characteristics to Jamal, actually, except he's a lot burstier. He can hit that gap and just explode into the second level. Um, I would say Jamal Williams has more power. He kind of knows when to use his power. But I also think that with Notre Dame and the way that they were using Dexter Williams, and I don't you know, know enough about Dexter Williams to say, you know, but I think that there's more to get out of him in the NFL than what was there. And the fact that he's in this room with, you know, like I said, I think he, just because of the coaching staff, you know, they picked Dexter Williams. They have no faith towards Jamal Williams, who, you know, never really gained that extra step that Dexter Williams already has. Um, that's a huge, you know, that's bad for Jamal Williams. But also Aaron Jones is sitting there saying, you know, if he doesn't perform and a lot of people are saying, well, he's got to get the ball. He's got to get the ball. Um, we're probably going to see it for a little bit because Dexter Williams has to put on some of that power and has to learn some of that um, leverage and everything like that that I was talking about. But he's in the perfect situation in terms of this offense is going to run the scheme that he's pretty much perfect for to where he can get to the outside and he can hit that hole. And it's kind of just a one cut thing. Um, so he's right in the mix. And if Aaron Jones gets hurt, Dexter Williams is just, you know, uh, he's a gold mine. So, I mean, at, like the, in the last round of your fantasy drafts or, you know, deep into August, definitely be reading uh, reports and see if, if you want to draft him in the last round. But uh, and for Dynasty, I'd, yeah, you should probably look into him because it's such a I mean, they could obviously just very, next year draft a running back. And all of a sudden, you know, Dexter Williams is the backup forever. But um, yeah, like I said, in your uh and not your keeper leagues or anything like that, but look for him in the last round and potentially you could have, you know, a big piece of Green Bay's offense here. But uh, if not with the, you know, like I said, if it looks like he's still behind and, you know, maturity issues and everything like that, which very easily could be the case, um, wait around because like I keep saying, if Aaron Jones gets hurt, I would much rather of the two take Dexter than Jamal. So we'll see. 
That park's burstier. I like it. We're gonna move on to upgrade yeah. <laughs> words. <laughs> the Seahawks with uh, the thirty-second pick in that sixth round take Travis Homer from Miami. He joins Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, who they took last year. J.D. McKissick, C.J. Procise, and Bo Scarborough. I mean, all guys parks that all do something different. All guys, I like, you know, they have a little bit of talent in different ways. Um, how do you th- see this kind of coming together? You know, it's kind of just a cluster here. I mean, especially for Homer, you know, Homer's like the classic Seahawks. Just they always, if there's an athletic running back who's like a little higher on their athleticism chart than he should be in the draft chart, they'll just take him. And, you know, that's how you do end up with a guy like Chris Carson in the seventh round. So, I mean, I can't knock their process. Um, so, but they do, they just take these really athletic guys with, um, you know, I wasn't a big Travis Homer fan, so it's hard for me to like sell the Travis Homer idea, especially when I do kind of like Chris Carson and they drafted Rashard Penny in the first round who doesn't get the ball enough. But when he does, it's like 10 yards per, you know, he's just like ripping off these ridiculous runs. So those are the main two and the Seahawks, you know, uh, have established that they want to run the football. That's going to be their, you know, everything despite, you know, too much. yeah, we'll see. So, um, uh, but nonetheless, those two are going to split the majority. And then it comes down to for Homer, you know, Scarborough is like such a power goal line back, but McKissick and Procise are the players that, you know, can get out into space, can play special teams, can catch the football. And that's what Homer's really going to want to get on the roster for. So he's going to battle with McKissick and Procise. I mean, Procise, I wish I could tell you that Procise is going to be good, but he's he gets injured every year and I stopped even trying with him. So... Um, he could beat out ProSize just because of injuries, but I mean, I don't even think he, he's like a, he's basically like a light version of JD McKissick, Travis Homer is. So that's, I kind of think he's, you know, if CJ ProSize gets hurt insurance, um, if JD McKissick gets hurt, you know, he's had some injury questions too. He's kind of that, you know, jet sweep player. I've talked about it with some other teams that, you know, uh, everything like that, but they have serious, uh, like a two headed monster ahead of him that um, they're going to really go to a lot. So, I mean, all these other guys are complimentary. Procise is the only intriguing one because he can catch so many passes, but like I already you know said about him. So that's where I stand on Homer. He's going to have to make the team on special teams, and he could. So that's what he's got going for him. Yeah, Parks, we'll move on here to the 42nd pick of that sixth round. The Kansas City Chiefs took Darwin Thompson from Utah State Parks. I mean, a guy I know we're both really excited for and to get Patty Mahomes, him. And then they also signed Washington State running back James Williams, who was a three-year starter with 202 career receptions there. So he could carve out himself a third down back role. Um, They joined Damian Williams, Carlos Hyde, and Darrell Williams in Kansas City there. Parks, how do you think Patty Mahomes and Andy Reid are going to use these two guys? You know, a sixth round pick in a UDFA, but they're going to be in the mix because you look at Damian Williams and, you know, what's his real pedigree? Yes, he stepped into a role last season. And yes, I don't think Kareem Hunt was the difference between the Chiefs, you know, not taking that step to the Super Bowl or anything along those lines. I think Damian Williams was just fine. I also don't think, you know, there's all that much upside to Damian Williams. And I think we kind of saw the best of what he can be um, in a stretch run where he kind of got thrown in the mix and he was a hot hand and, you know, um, teams are kind of adjusting on the fly due to the fact that he was, you know, like a third down back for Miami for like four years. So, you know, you kind of sit back and you say, well, if he does, and I'm not saying he will, but if he does fall back into that, um, you know, third down back for Miami for all those years, or, you know, he was even behind Spencer Ware on the depth chart who was behind Kareem Hunt until Ware got hurt. So, you know, this is where he is on the depth chart. Um, If that does happen, it's wide open. Carlos Hyde's in the mix for sure. 
But um, the big thing with Darwin Thompson and James Williams that they had over Carlos Hyde is their passing game value, which, I mean, we know with Patrick Mahomes and you start to look at this running back situation and, you know, you say one of the things that Andy Reid did a little too, you know, uh, too much too early into that game was run the football um, in the AFC championship. You know, and when you have a guy like Mahomes, you may just want to spread the football out. And, um, okay, you do lose a guy in Tyreek Hill. Um, do you want to get back to running the football or do you have two running backs besides you, you know, whether it be Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson, and you know, you can get the ball out of your hands quickly because a lot of what Mahomes can do um, is before the play as well, you know, kind of reading and reacting and motioning guys and everything like that. So to have two pass catching running backs on the field is interesting. So, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely, I mean, we all have to keep our eyes on Darwin Thompson because I thought that he was going to be a player who, you know, in the sixth round could be some fantasy gold really late into drafts. And now he's on the chiefs. <laughs> so it's like, Oh man, you know, this. Is yeah, buddy. yeah. Like we're not just like talking about, this could be a nice little pickup. We're talking about, this could be um, season defining, you know, uh, this could be like, he could be a second round pick next year um, in fantasy drafts. And, you know, we're picking him up in the very last round. So, you know, that's the type of reading that you should probably do on a guy like Darwin Thompson or a guy like James Williams in the very same. I think Thompson, especially, yeah, like you said, with PPR. And that's where I keep saying that they could get two running backs on the field because Williams doesn't really have much between the tackles, but he can catch, you know, for the most part, everything. So if they can build a little bit up between that, but Thompson actually does have some value between the tackles to where he is cutting into Damian Williams time. And I mean, you can look, I think Damian Williams is like a fourth round pick in fantasy right now. Um, obviously that shit, cha- your stuff changes, you know, all the time, but uh, you could just look at it and say he could easily Darwin Thompson, because he has that capability between the tackles and pass catching and the offense could be a fourth round pick value. Um, James Williams too, could just be very easily in the mix. So these are two guys that you just have to keep reading the, you know, the camp reports and everything like that and just see, how often are they going to be used? You know, where do they stand with Carlos Hyde? Who Carlos Hyde is like the biggest uh, touchdown vulture there is. So, I mean, it could just be so, you know, so messy because there's like four guys and we didn't even touch on, you know, Daryl Williams from last year. So there's like four or five guys in the mix. So it could just be so messy or it could be that, um, you know, we have, it's a, it's a big time fantasy hit. So the low risk, high reward, you have to take a look into it, but uh like I said, it's something that you have to you have to just continually read camp reports because Thompson's also smaller and James Williams also has to put some weight on, put some power on, everything like that. So those are some things that you have to look into. Yeah, Parks, I like those fits. I'm excited. Um, but we'll move on to the seventh round here. The Dolphins with the 19th and 20th pick, they go back-to-back on uh, running backs. Uh, Chandler Cox from Auburn is going to be a fullback, but we'll talk about Miles Gaskin from Washington here. He was a four-year feature back for the Washington Huskies. He became the first player in Pac-12 history to rush for 1,000-plus yards in all four seasons. He joins Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balazs, and Kenneth Faro at the Miami Dolphins running back room. Parks, how do you see this shaking out? I'm not the biggest Gaskin fan. I honestly think he'll have his hands full with Faro. And, you know, whoever wins that would be, um, you know, the third down back where um, I think, you know, I'll just kind of say that I'm going to think that, you know, Kalen Balazs is the guy that I'm kind of putting my chips on in the Miami backfield. So, yeah, that's just where I stand. Like I said, I'm not going to get into Gaskin too much because I honestly think his ceiling, like at the very best, he has a career, you know, similar to Kenneth Farrow where he's like a third down back who kind of moves team to team. But, I mean, he could be a solid third down back um, if he puts a little bit of weight on, but that's about it. Yeah, Parks, and we can move on to just a couple of UDFA guys. We already touched on some of them, but uh, guys that I want to talk about here, the New York Jets signed Appalachian State running back Jalen Moore. They obviously signed – 
Le'Veon Bell, but uh, Moore led the Sun Belt Conference in rushing as a sophomore and junior before suffering a year-ending ankle injury five games into his senior season. He joins that backfield like I talked about with Le'Veon Bell, Elijah McGuire, Trenton Cannon, D'Angelo Henderson, Ty Montgomery, Jalen Moore, and Valentin Holmes. Parks, a lot of guys there. Um, but I, I like what I saw from Moore whenever he was on the field at Appalachian State Parks. I'm not sure how much of him you got to see, but you think there's a role for him there? He's intriguing and he's explosive, but um, obviously Le'Veon Bell's the you know, key factor, but you know, we all, I don't even have to walk you through, you know, why Le'Veon Bell is risky as it is. So um, behind Le'Veon Bell, you start to get into Trenton Cannon is going to make the team as a special teamer. Ty Montgomery, you know, we're starting to realize special teams is his ceiling. So behind him, it's Elijah McGuire, D'Angelo Henderson, Jalen Moore are going to be competing for each other. I actually kind of like all three of them. I think they're all interesting little players. They're all very similar stylistically. Um, one cut players, um, you know, bursty players who can hit that hole and kind of just take off on you. So um, not only would they be competing for if Le'Veon Bell goes down, I mean, it would probably end up being like a mix of the three and just be frustrating. But um, besides that, there's the chance that, you know, five to 10 carries or also, you know, it could be five carries and three receptions, something along those lines, because Bell is also a player that you can put um you could motion him into the slot or you could motion one of these guys into the slot. So Jalen Moore is going to be behind because he tore his ACL, I think pretty late into last year. So um, I would honestly expect him to either hit the pup or the practice squad. And then it would be, you know, McGuire and Henderson, but he could be a guy that, um, you know, if it's like week six and Le'Veon gets hurt, um, he's, you know, you have to keep your eye on him or, you know, uh, check what his health status is, check what, you know, the coaches think about him, you know, are the coaches wild by, you know, what he's doing, everything like that. Because like you said, when he's on the field, he could be explosive. So um, yeah, because he's in that situation and because he's going to be competing for backup, you know, spots, once he gets healthy, it's definitely worth, you know, considering what he could do. Yes, sir. Parks and moving on to the Tennessee Titans, they ended up signing Kansas state running back, Alex Barnes um, had a really nice combine there. Parks logged the third best spark score in this year's running back class. Um, he, of course, joins Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis, Jeremy McNichols, and Dalen Dawkins. Parks, um, do you think there's a role for him there? Yeah, they keep saying this is the year for Henry, but I feel like they've been saying that for two or three years. So we'll see about that. But when you look at Barnes, you look at, you know, an overpowering back um, with surprising athleticism. That's similar. You know, that's how Derrick Henry, you know, is sunning people on the outside and everything like that, you know. Faster than you would think for how big he is, a little more elusive than you think for how big he is, can power players over. So he's the pure Henry backup. Um, Lewis doesn't lose, you know, any bit of his role. You really start to look down to, you know, on this list and he could easily step in as the the number three back in that, you know, in that spot. So if Derrick Henry gets hurt, all of a sudden he's, he steps right in. I mean, he's, he's not going to immediately step in and be everything that Derrick Henry is and more, but He's going to step in and he's going to provide at least, you know, at least enough to make Deion Lewis frustrating in fantasy, honestly. So um, that's where he would be in the short term. In the long term, if Henry, you know, I keep saying, well, they, they keep saying it's Henry's turn. Well, you know, nobody's going to pay a player who, well, this year it's his time, this year is his time. So if Henry does move on from his contract, you are looking at, like, like I said, this is a barren backfield. So all of a sudden Barnes is intriguing. It's just right now he's in Right now, he's literally in a spot where he's not going to touch the ball because Henry and Lewis are going to take all of the carries, um, and then he's just the insurance. So you don't draft him, you don't, you do keep an eye on him, 
And, you know, the second, like, any issue with Henry, or if, if Henry even has, like, a bad game, um, you start, you know, looking up Alex Barnes' information and everything like that. That's that's where he is in terms of his situation. Barks, and last guy we'll talk about here for the running backs, um, the New Orleans Saints signed Nebraska running back, Devano Zigbo. He was committee back for three seasons in Nebraska and then exploded as a senior. PFF College had him uh, gain first downs or scored a touchdown on a Big Ten high, 34% of his 2018 carries. Uh, we talked about on the running back preview pod for the draft parks that a lot of that was against uh, not the greatest competition of some of the teams in the Big Ten there. Um, but we did see him post a 7.0 yards per carry on 155 carries with 12 touchdowns and did catch 23 passes. He ran a 4.5, 4.40 and had a 37-inch vertical, 110-4 broad jumps at his pro day parks. Um, pretty nice footwork, you know, all-purpose versatility there. Do you think there's a role for him behind? Uh, they ended up signing Latavius Murray. They also have Alvin Kamara and Dwayne Washington. Do you see something for him there? Now for him, what he needs to do is beat out Dwayne Washington. I, I do believe that he can. So once he beats out Dwayne Washington, he's in an interesting situation to where if Latavius Murray gets hurt, he slides pretty much straight into the Mark Ingram role. So that's where all of a sudden, you know, he's getting goal line work. Um, we know that he can catch the ball a little bit, you know, just well enough to where, you know, Mark Ingram, um, you know, caught the ball a little bit just well enough. So can be in a very similar role. Latavius Murray is locked into that role right now. And I don't think a Zigbo next season could beat Murray, but you know, Murray's a guy where um, if he gets hurt or by the end of the season could potentially be an overthrown by a Zigbo. So he's probably another player that, you know, if Murray gets hurt or if you read something in camp, but you're probably going to look around like week eight in, you know, on your waiver wire, you're going to be looking at a guy like Divina Zigbo because um, he could, you know, he's on a great offense. Uh, the Saints drafted insanely well despite not having many assets i thought they um really made the most of their picks so um they should you know as long as drew Brees is healthy you know should still have a pretty good offense rolling into next season and should have some touchdowns you know potentially for ozigbo if murray gets hurt so it's really just sitting around and waiting i mean he, I don't think he, he can beat Latavius Murray, so I wouldn't even. That's not like a bold call that I want to go for, but we'll see. I think he'll, he'll he'll compete with him in camp, and you know maybe by the end of the season. But um, that's where I would bet on him. Parks and um, you know if you guys have any questions regarding like how you should value these guys in terms of fantasy dynasty, any of that, or if there's anyone that you want us to touch on, uh, definitely hit us up on Twitter at tnf underscore podcast, and we'll get back to you. Um, on that, do you have anything else you want to add, Parks? That's it. Yeah, hit us up on Twitter, and we'll, we'll we'll talk then. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time with the wide receivers that were drafted and talk about their situations.